Peace, grace, this is Pastor Colton Lott from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, El Reno. We have the privilege of building Christian community in El Reno for the world. And so if you care about building Christian community or El Reno or the world, we're glad you're listening to this podcast. If you want to help contribute to the gospel work of this congregation, please visit our website, fcclreno.org, and go to the Give Online tab. And now, here's the sermon for the week. Our scripture for the morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. You can find that in your pew Bible, any Bible you brought with you, or on the screen behind me. Feel empowered to listen in the way you know best. A shoot shall come up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand over the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. May God add blessings to the readings of these words in every time and in every place. Let's pray. God, we long to see Jesus, the great Prince of Peace. And so might our reading and investigation of these words bring us back to him and him to us so that in this moment we might experience something holy, something good, and something true. Today's scripture is one of the most striking images that we have from the Bible. I mean, after all, it was, what was his name? Wick? Hicks. What was his first name? Edward Hicks. It was Edward Hicks that saw this image from the Bible, or at least heard these words and decided to paint some 60 portraits of the same exact image. Without further explanation, without the clutter of preaching, it can stand all on its own. 
Lions eating straw, kids playing with snakes, wolves and lambs lying in the same field and neither of them are dinner. Because of our long tendency to read this passage at Advent, we keep this in the church as an image of the season that we are in. Almost like an alternative alternative nativity, we keep this animal menagerie right next to the stable with the shepherds and the magi and the holy family. If only, if only our lives and families look like this at Christmas time. Only our world looked like this in the closing of the year. Alas, needless to say, all too often, they do not. For some, the holidays truly are the most wonderful time of the year. A special time when family far and near reassembles, where we have the permission for joyful excess. And efficiency can take the backseat guilt-free. We can buy Christmas lights and string them. We can spend the Thursday night going out to drink hot chocolate and look at lights. We can even eat the second slice of pie. And we keep these traditions that root us in the past, even some bizarre ones, so that we remember and keep this season special. But it is no great secret that that is not everyone's story. That for many of us, the holidays bring out the rough edges. The empty chair becomes highlighted. The soldier who is not granted leave or worse deployed is keenly, keenly felt and missed. The mountains of spending quickly becomes mountains of debt. The difficulty in maintaining hard-won sobriety and a long season of partying is noticed. Even the weather itself, which gives so many of us seasonal affective disorder, also known as sad, makes us literally sad. And my heart, as much as I'd like to be in a group one, is mostly with group two. Because I have often found myself there as an adolescent and sometimes still do as an adult. As my favorite Christmas movie so succinctly summarizes, it's Christmas. We're all in misery. But what I've observed is that if Christmas isn't necessarily for you, then you should try Advent. Advent, which is a churchy word for waiting, preparing, watching, coming. Advent is the season before Christmas, the four Sundays and the accompanying days that happen before December 25th. It's roughly the same season that we call Christmas in our social and secular world. But Advent is different, less in its contents and more in its mood. Advent is a time when this scripture from Isaiah makes perfect sense. A text of longing, of aching for God to finally interrupt the world and give us real peace. Our worship series this Advent is Christmas Journey Interrupted when we are looking for this interrupting God to interrupt us again in our lives. Interrupt us so that we can again experience the good news. Interrupt us again so that we don't miss it. Don't miss it in between the shopping and the partying and the decorating and the traveling and the eating and the constantly going. 
And if you want to be interrupted, then Isaiah, great companion for the journey. So good that as I mentioned last week, I'm going to be preaching from this book every Sunday through Christmas. So it's appropriate for us to do a little orientation to Isaiah. Christians read from this book so often that it is sometimes called the fifth gospel. And there's a good reason for that. But when we don't stop and reflect on Isaiah on Isaiah's own terms, then it easily and often reduces the depth of the text. And it becomes nothing more than a carol. When we only read this text with Christmas in mind, we can lose the other interpretations or don't even know that they might exist. Isaiah is one of the longest books in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, and the best scholarship tells us that this book is actually a collection of three prophets writing over several centuries in very important moments in the history of Israel and Judah. Today's scripture is from the oldest era, the first voice who bore the name Isaiah. And his prophetic ministry was in the time that Israel, the northern kingdom, was being conquered by the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire was making threats against Judah too. Ultimately, the Assyrian army waged a successful campaign, conquered ten Judean cities, but stopped short of Jerusalem. They sieged the city, camped around it, but they were unsuccessful. The Assyrians could not conquer great Jerusalem, but it was costly. Nevertheless, in the in the in the in and amidst war, Isaiah prophesied an era of peace, peace right on the horizon. If you go back and read through uh, Isaiah 10, which we didn't in worship today, but is an important context for Isaiah 11. Funny how that works. Um, Isaiah sees that both, that these great trees are going to fall. Assyria and Judah are going to be felled, cut down like the great cedars of Lebanon. But importantly... As we read today, the prophecy doesn't stop there. Isaiah saw that from these stumps, one would remain empty, but another, the other, our tree, Jesse's tree, there would be a shoot come up. A line from King David would continue. A prince of peace would come. A prince of peace we know by the name of King Hezekiah. It sometimes bothers Christians to know that this beloved text first referenced another before Jesus, or besides Jesus. Originally, this text is about the revolutionary, faithful leadership of King Hezekiah, who not only survived the onslaught of the Assyrians, but reformed the religious practice of ancient Judah. I want you all to know this, and if you're newer here, um, I really get into biblical history, and some people really enjoy that, and some of it endure it, but I hope you endured it for this reason today. We often see the prophets as a prologue to Jesus only. But that is a discredit to Isaiah. And subtly can be a form of anti-Jewish theology. Because it would mean that the only meaning that are in these texts is Jesus. But as Hebrew Bible professor, the Reverend Dr. Lisa Davison says in her article, reading the prophets with integrity and advent so eloquently states, if a prophetic message only has one meaning, then it's limited and dead. The power of the biblical prophets 
was the enduring value of their words. They could speak across generations. That's how our ancestors in the faith, Jesus and his followers, when after the death and resurrection of Jesus happened, our ancestors searched through their scriptures to better understood who he was and what he meant. Not only what Jesus was and meant for them, but would in the time to come. Who Jesus was and what he meant, not only for them, but for many, maybe even for all. And here they found an image of the child who would lead. Who would put animals in the field together. Who would have the gifts of God like wisdom, knowledge, compassion. Who would reign with justice. Now I think it's important to remember that this text is spoken across time. Because we stand in front of the text today. In much the same way those before us have. From the first audience who heard these words straight from Isaiah's lips to the first Christians and on down the line to us. We find before us a captivating image that isn't fully true yet. For neither King Hezekiah nor Jesus nor today is it true that a calf and a lion will eat in the same pasture very long as verse 6 states. I was in Alaska this past year for work, and while we were there, we had a necessary orientation about what to do in the event of a bear attack, which confirms that verse 7, with its imagery of cows and bears grazing together, is still yet to be born. We are still waiting. We are still waiting for kids to play with snakes like their jump ropes. We are still waiting for rulers to judge for the poor instead of for the privileged. We are still waiting for decisions to be made with equity for the oppressed of the earth instead of only for shareholders. We are still waiting and we still need to be interrupted by the spirit with peace. The distance between us And the vision which Isaiah provides is so vast that we are tempted to look at it and think, wow, that's so beautiful. Someone should paint a picture. Guess it can't happen, can it? And then move on. We have to make the same choice that people have made since they first heard these words of Isaiah to now. We, in our time, must choose to trust God and to trust that God is not finished with the way of peace. And we must choose to join God in that work. We are still waiting for the God we know in Jesus to finish this job, to finally make good on the promise that nothing will hurt or destroy on God's holy mountain. A promise that is made according to Isaiah 11.9, not just for some, but for all. And it is no small thing to trust this working of God. It is no small thing to wait for it. But if the season of Advent tells us something, something that the season of of secular Christmas cannot, it is this. We cannot passively wait. 
We do not have to be frozen by this perfect image of Isaiah, which seems so different than our imperfect world to ever begin. We cannot let the perfect be the enemy of the good. We are not just waiting for God to come, but instead we are called to prepare for God's coming. We can get glimpses of this prophecy coming into view, glimpses of God working even now if we dare to look and if we dare to join in. Here's an example, perhaps. As we look at the course of this year, another year over, one of the great tragedies is that war is not over and that war has come to Ukraine where the delicate balance of peace in Europe has been upended for the first time in many of our lives. I know not everyone's, but certainly in mine. If you only pay attention to the surface, though, you will see a failure of the promise of this world of cows and bears lying to graze. But if you dig around in the wreckage, we can see shoots of peace coming up from the trunks of felled trees. As reportedly, uh, as reported recently on This American Life, there is a website that reads in Russian, servicemen of the Russian armed forces, do you notice that you're not greeted with flowers but with fire and curses? Do you notice that your commanders run away first? Save your life for yourself and for your family. Stop fighting for other people's slogans. Contact us. Save your life. The name of this website is IWantToLive.com. It has an accompanying hotline to call. And if a Russian soldier calls this hotline and they're willing to desert the army, then they can be exchanged in a prisoner of war swap. Especially when they realize that they are tasked with killing innocent people who simply wish to defend their home. Now this episode of This American Life recounts the experience of one 22-year-old Russian man who contacted the hotline after being drafted, after realizing that the war was being conducted under false pretenses, and after losing his best friend in the early days of the war. And so he leaves his barracks in Russia, stationed close to the border. He walks for two days with nothing other than a compass and a phone, and finally he makes it to the border. And he calls the hotline. And his interview is conducted by two Ukrainian YouTubers who have a connection with the government, and they tell him to keep going into a village where Ukrainian servicemen would be waiting for him. I can't imagine anything but that these interviewers are probably young, probably normal, probably everyday kind of people, maybe computer geeks. I don't know. The Russian soldier crosses into the border into Ukraine and with instructions from the hotline, he is scared to death he's going to accidentally be shot. He is a Russian serviceman in uniform, but he wanders alone into a Ukrainian village. And he makes it. And he's not shot. And he meets a Ukrainian woman and asks her, where do I go? And the woman in the village asks him, are you going to hurt anyone? And he swears that he won't. And so she asks her son, a schoolboy, to walk him to the school gymnasium where he can surrender as a prisoner of war. 
The woman is just an everyday citizen living with a child who has decided to trust one who carries the color of the enemy with the hope it will lead to peace. Now, I want to live.com is a program that is not perfect. It's ultimately a tactic of war. I know this. And while this case ended up being a positive result for this Russian soldier, the United Nations has documented human rights abuses against Russian prisoners of war in Ukraine, albeit non-systemic abuses, but nevertheless, it's not perfect. But yet, I still hope that fewer lives will be lost and that fewer towns will be destroyed, and that Ukraine's slow development toward a democratic nation will not be much longer stalled by the imperialist desires of the Russian Federation and its president. I have a hope. Certainly because of God, but because in part, ordinary Ukrainians who live ordinary lives are doing everything they can to act for peace too. We take the signs we can get, trusting that God will be working even now, even here, And perhaps we could even build on them. Perhaps the same could happen in our holiday season too. Despite how hard Christmas can be and all too often is for so many of us. Perhaps in this Advent season, we can do our work and get glimpses of peace and actively prepare for God's coming peace. Indeed, my friends. There are many ways that we can participate. There are the usual suspects of giving extra, of slowing down and being present for the family and friends in your life. Important ways of bringing peace to our corner, like helping with blessing baskets and enjoying meals over tables, sharing what we have, whether it's a little or a lot, and knowing that nothing is wasted in God's economy. But there are also the other ways that we could try practicing too. Of taking out our teeth. Of letting go of our fangs. Of retracting our claws. Digging into the hard work of forgiveness. To do as Howard Thurman said in restoring a lost harmony. So that our Christmas gift to ourselves is peace between us and someone else. Yes. Just as people throughout the centuries have found themselves, we found ourselves waiting. But let's actively wait. And as we do so, maybe we will make our way slowly to God's holy mountain where we will be interrupted by the Spirit with peace once and for all. Real peace, durable peace. And nothing will hurt or destroy anymore. Because all will know God's peace. Amen.